Good morning, everybody. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. You know, this past week I was thinking about a quote from one of the world's most prolific and profound philosophers and theologians, a man by the name of Mike Tyson. <laughs> Mike Tyson once said these words. Thank you very much. Mike Tyson once said these words, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Mike was talking about one of his fights that was coming up, and they were talking about the other boxers' plan to bob and to weave, and Mike saw through all of that. He said, listen, yo, everybody has a plan, and then you get punched in the face. And then everything you thought you were going to do, you know you can't do that anymore. Now, fortunately for most of us, we've never had to face Iron Mike in the ring, but all of us have had to face a thing called life. And if you've lived long enough, as my grandmother would say, if you live long enough, life will punch you in the face. Now, generally speaking, there are three groups of people. There are people who have gone through real difficulties, there are people who are going through difficulties, and there are people who are going to go through difficulties. And so for the last number of months, we've been praying about a series that we're going to start at Renaissance today on suffering. Walking with God when life hurts. When life throws a haymaker, it actually connects to your life. How do we have a faith that can withstand all of that? How do we have a faith that can actually make us thrive through the, through the difficulty? Now, very clearly, this is not going to be some pie in the sky, it's going to get better um, sermon series. We're going to be looking at some practical things, calling us to a life of faith, and really finding some very helpful things from Scripture about how do we maintain and walk, on, um, walk with God. One of my favorite quotes by a mentor of mine, Tim Keller, he once said these words, nothing is more important than to learn how to maintain a life of purpose in the midst of painful adversity. Over the past decade as a pastor, I've realized that this is extremely true. Now, in some ways, this is also a sermon series that I wish that Jordan would have heard 15 years ago. I've gone through my fair share of... Uh, things in life that have been disruptive. My fair share of hits to the face. Sometimes they're small things, they're inconveniences. Other times they're disappointments and real disappointments in my life. And other times there've been some really uh, catastrophic things that have happened in my life. Um, I've talked about this, we'll talk about this a little bit more as the series goes on. We're gonna be kind of highlighting different stories from people in our community and talking about real things that people have had. And if we were to pass around a microphone and talk about, well, what are the great difficulties that you faced? Lord knows that I, I wouldn't even want to stand on the stage next to some of the people to share the rawness and really how painful their life has been. But certainly, I'm not a stranger to difficulty in life. Uh, I buried my late wife when I was in my 20s, and um, I watched her suffer through chemotherapy and unfortunately pass away. And more than her dying, I felt like my faith was dying. I felt like my faith was dead. I felt like I was ill-equipped to face the challenges of, of life. And so, one quick thing before we get into the series. One, I want to make sure everybody, is, throughout this series, you're checking in with yourself and um, you're, you're paying attention to how you're feeling and what's coming to you, how the Lord is coming to you. But I, I don't want people feeling like just because we're talking about this, something bad is going to happen to you. Like, it's not contagious, you know what I'm saying? 
We just want to equip you for life's inevitable challenges. Now, by challenges, I do not mean everybody has catastrophes. Some people at different parts of our life, we certainly face different things, but we want to be equipped to face all of life's challenges. There's an old theologian who talked about how the story of Job in the Bible is actually the story of all of us. So one of the first books that was ever written in the Bible is actually Job. Right after Genesis, some of the first books that are, some of the first pages of scripture that are written is a story of a man named Job who lost everything. Now, the theologian remarked on Job that as soon as you have the writing about our humanity in our beginning, you see writing about our suffering and our challenges. Why is that? Because life and challenges go hand in hand. Now, our culture interprets losses and challenges and difficulties as detours from the life that you were meant to live, that these are alien invasions somehow robbing us of a normal life. And from the outset of this series, I want us to be thinking about a number of things. Number one, challenges are not a disruption from your life. They are your life. It is a part of life. It is impossible to have life without challenges. And so we need a faith that works in every single season. As I was saying, the theologian mentioned that the story of Job is a story of us all. Job lost everything in one day. His 10 children died in a natural disaster. He lost all of his wealth, um, even though he's one of the richest people in the world. And then the same day, he loses all of his health and that he is physically unrecognizable. Now, what the theologian was saying was this. Most of us experience, hopefully, these losses much more slowly and much more gradually. But all of us will experience the loss truly of all things. One day, hopefully, it's just over the span of a lifetime, but one day we will all find ourselves on the door of death, leaving everything behind, all of our relationships, all of our possessions, and all of our health. All of us will lose our youthfulness, no matter how many creams you do at night. <laughs> Today is my birthday. I'm now 42 years old. Thank you. And I woke up this morning feeling like I'm in my 40s. You know what I'm saying? I didn't just turn 40 like, no, bro, you in your 40s. And as I've gotten older, not that I'm the oldest person in this room, um, I've realized that things just don't always work the way that they used to. My knees and my back just be, be barking for no reason sometimes. But over the course of our life, we, no matter how much we exercise or work out, we, use, we lose our, our youthfulness. Some of us lose our hair. Um, but more seriously, we, we lose our dreams. We've lost our dreams, some of us. Now, we need to know how to maintain a life of purpose in the midst of painful adversity. One of my good friends, a, a brother by the name of John Anwachekwa, he wrote a book called We Go On, and he just had a book tour around a number of cities about this concept of grief and loss and he has some of the most helpful language. He'll be preaching at Renaissance in a couple of weeks. But he has some of the most helpful language around loss and how you should be seeing your own losses. Now, there are tangible losses and there are ambiguous losses. Tangible losses are the losses of, I lost my late wife when I was 29 years old. That's a, a tangible loss. You can see the tears in my face. You can see the body in the ground and you can connect my tears to that loss. But there's also ambiguous losses, losses with no funerals, funerals with no caskets, 
Ambiguous losses are the loss of a dream. Some of y'all came to New York to chase your dream, to make it on Broadway or in tech or in film or whatever the case is, and you find yourself a number of years having never done that. And there is no ceremony to end the loss of your, your career. For many of you who have lost relationships, there's no anniversary that people will comment. There was no service to, to remark the end of that relationship. There were not people gathered around you to mourn with you. It's a loss, but it's ambiguous. And as a result, many of us are struggling with the losses that we have had to carry, but they're not things that we can remark and, and have um, ceremonies around. You know, as a pastor, one of the things I've realized is that there's so many people who just feel lonely. And as the holidays are coming up, you dread it because you're going to be surrounded by a group of people who you may or may not want to be around, and everybody is going to be pretending like everything is all good, and you're just going to feel lonely, like people don't get you. Others of us um, in this room right now, your loss is that since you did not accomplish the things in life that you wanted to accomplish right now, you just feel like a failure. You just knew that by the time you hit this period in life, and you would be at this stage in your career doing X, Y, and Z, you tried to keep up with the Joneses, and they left you in the dust. Many of us are grieving the loss of relationships. You're grieving the loss of a relationship that you once had, that you lost, or a relationship that you deeply desire and you don't have. I mean, these are the type of things that rob people, and they keep people feeling shame because you don't even want to speak about it. You don't even want to tell people that what's really going on in the inside of you is a deep-seated pain and rejection because you don't have the relationship that you want. For many of us, the reason we don't have that relationship is even more painful. It's because we've done something to mess up a relationship with someone. And although you asked for forgiveness, the other person never gave it to you. It might be a kid or a family member or a romantic interest that you once had where now there's separation, not because of them, but because of you. How do you navigate through life when you've been the one that made the mistake and they didn't give you forgiveness? That's confusing. That's painful. Some of us are going through extended periods of financial strain. You know, we all go through a month here and there, but some of you are like, I'm going on month 37 in a row of financial stress and strain, and it's just weighing on me. And like I said, I think the question that the, the banner that everything falls under is that uh, unrealized dreams. Now, when we're going through these ambiguous losses, these losses without a funeral, these losses that are real and painful, here are some of the questions we find ourselves asking ourselves. Why is this happening to me? Why are other people not dealing with things like I am? Will it always be like this? Lord knows I've asked myself these questions a number of times. I've been so tempted to write the script of my life and trying to figure out how things would go. And when I ask myself these questions, why is this happening to me? Why are other people not dealing with this? And will it always be like this? To be perfectly honest, I've never got good questions that have actually led me to be a person that can walk by faith. It's always done something to me, but it hasn't done something good to me. For today, I want to talk about a scripture 
that I think is more helpful than those questions that we ask ourselves when we face ambiguous loss in our life. I want to point us to a portion of Scripture that's going to help us more than those questions, and it's from a book called Habakkuk. It's a small book at the end of the Old Testament, and it gives us some insight on how to wait and to be patient when life is confusing and when life hurts. So as we are starting this series today, I want you to be thinking about we are gradually taking off, and as the weeks progress, we're going to be asking more difficult questions and looking at more difficult uh, topics surrounding pain and suffering and disappointments. But for today, I want us to be thinking about what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when you find yourself in a situation? It's not necessarily a catastrophe. It's not necessarily a life and death thing but you just desperately want change. You want growth. What do you do when you find yourself uh, mourning one of these ambiguous losses, a a loss of a dream? What do you do in those scenarios? So we're going to be reading Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, here's my promise to you in this series. Even though we're going to be talking about concepts today like waiting, you know, a lot of times people hear that and they're like, all right, all right. Another church telling telling me to wait on the Lord. All right, all right. I get it. I don't think we understand the meaning of what that's telling us to do. What's the opposite? To wait on yourself? Is that gonna, has that led you well so far in, in, in your life? And so today I want us to, as we're talking about walking with God through pain and suffering, I want us to take this first introduction into it and just a very, we're, taking, we're dipping our pinky toe in the water of this conversation about what does it look like for you to wait and to be patient? Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says these words, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. The Lord answered me, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. I want you to underline this part right here. But the righteous one will live by faith. The righteous one will live by faith. And so how do you wait, biblically, as Scripture tells us to do so many different seasons? What do you do? How do you wait? I think we're going to talk about four things today that are hopefully are very practical for you and will make sense and will allow you to, to be in the confusing in-between and have a life and a faith that makes sense. Number one, waiting on God requires humility. Now, this might feel like I'm beating you up a little bit, but one of the challenges that Jordan Rice faces every single time I find myself in a confusing situation, the biggest challenge is that I think that I know how life should be going, and it's not going like that. And therefore, I'm not just confused. I'm angry and I'm furious because God has not got the memo. Papa, it should be going like this. What are we doing? In verse 3, Habakkuk says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. And then he says, though it delays, wait for it. He says, like, be patient, since it will certainly come and not be late. What Habakkuk is basically saying is this. God's plans are perfect. 
And he's telling you that in the meantime, you should do like the prophet Kendrick Lamar says, to sit down and to be humble and to wait. Now, why is this so important? The word wait in Hebrew basically means to be patient. And um, a lot of people, when you talk about patience and you talk about waiting, people, people say, talk about patience like it's something that you were born with or you didn't have, or, or, you, or you either were born with it or you don't have it. Like, oh, I wish I could be patient, but I just don't have it. I wish I could be patient, but that's just not me. That's just not the way I'm wired. As if patience is something that you um, are born with instead of something like a virtue that you grow into and you acquire. God right now, in many of our lives, is doing a supernatural work of developing patience in your life. And the first step for God to do that is through giving us an amazing amount of humility. Better stated, God is giving us an invitation to be humble. Now, to be patient, to wait on God is a deliberate act of humility. It is saying, God, you are God and I am not. Your plans are from everlasting to everlasting. My plans are for the last 20 minutes. I don't know what I'm doing. And it requires that we actually lay down the control and the perspective that we have of our lives. One of my favorite scriptures, Ecclesiastes 11 and 5, says this. Just as you don't know the path of the wind or how bones develop in the womb of a pregnant woman, so also you don't know what the work of God is who makes everything. You don't know the work of God who makes everything. When my wife was pregnant with our, um, my oldest son, we went to the OBGYN for all of these routine visits. And um, fortunately, everything was going according to plan and to schedule. And we would go into the office and they say, oh, like week 13, now the baby is the size of a bacon, egg, and cheese on an everything bagel. <laughs> That's how New York doctors do it. <laughs> and then one time I looked at the doctor and I was like, yo, this is like so crazy. I was like reading the pamphlets and I was saying, oh, wow, like so at this one particular visit, uh, they said, oh, his heart just split into four chambers. It was like one, and then it just split. And I was like, yo, this is incredible. Why did that happen? And she says, Mr. Rice, I have no idea. <laughs> Here I was thinking at this doctor, surely if anybody would know why these things are happening, this doctor, our OBGYN, would know, and she had no idea. And here's why. In the same way that we don't know how bones develop in the, baby, in the, in the belly of a pregnant woman, we have no idea about the plans and the works of God. And one of the things that will rob you from your ability to wait is this insistence on believing that you know how God's plan should develop. And one thing that difficulty and disappointment and suffering invites us into is a conversation with humility that says, maybe I don't know as much as I think I know. Lord knows how painful this is to come to grips with this. But God is inviting us all into patience because, hear this, in the waiting, God is working. While you are waiting and nothing seems to be happening, God is working. This is the promise that we have from Scripture. In James 1, uh, he says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters. And here's the thing that's going to require you to walk by faith to receive this. Whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And here's what James says, let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, 
lacking nothing. Now, why does James say to let endurance have its full effect? Because James knows that while you are in different seasons of disappointment, of challenges, God is working. There's an old war movie, and it's uh, in one of the scenes, one of the soldiers gets shot in the leg. And one of the army medics runs over to him with his little kit, and he goes and he says, well, I think I can get the bullet and save your leg and save your life. All he has, though, is this little local anesthetic that he's going to inject into his leg. And he says, sir, this is going to be incredibly painful, but you have to let me do my thing. If you start flailing around your arms and kicking and screaming and punching, it's going to make your leg even worse than if I haven't even operated. So I need you to let me work while it's painful, because if you move, it's going to mess things up. What James is saying is this. God is inviting you. God is asking you to be patient to be humble, to sit back and to try your very best to let God work while it is painful, while it is confusing. Because if you let um, endurance have its full effect, you will be mature and complete. What Scripture says is lacking nothing. Now, when Scripture says lacking nothing, it doesn't mean that somehow miraculously you get everything you wanted. It's not talking about a dishwasher in your apartment. What Scripture is saying is that the version of you that you want The version of you that you long to be comes on the other side of letting endurance have its full effect. It's a maturity that is produced inside of us. So when circumstances, bad bad circumstances and disappointments hit us, we can either flail around and become a more bitter person, or we can ask God for the grace, ask God for the grace to trust him that he's working on us through the painful situations. So number one, uh, humility comes, I mean, uh, walking, waiting on God requires humility. It requires that we say we don't know um, the work of God in our lives. And day by day, we ask God for the grace to trust him to move forward. Number two, it requires perspective. It requires perspective. Look at verse one again. In Habakkuk, it says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. For whatever reason, this translation says the ramparts. Um, and the ramparts is basically a lookout tower. So if you, in these ancient cities, they would be constructed so that there would be a tower. First of all, the cities would be built on the highest part of the hill. And then in addition to being on the highest part of the hill, they would build a lookout tower as high as they could. Why is that? They wanted to be able to see the enemy coming from as far away as possible. So when Habakkuk says that he will station and stand at his guard post and uh, in the lookout tower, what he's basically saying is, while I'm waiting, I'm going to go up to somewhere to get some perspective. Because while I am down here, it is insufficient for me to be able to do everything I need to do. So if you have a lookout who's standing at the gate, there could be an enemy that's like, a couple hundred yards away, and they would never see them. So they go up to go get some perspective. And here's, I believe, God's invitation to you right now. If you find yourself in the middle of a situation that is confusing, that is disappointing, in addition to humility, you also need to go in search of some perspective. Some perspective. All throughout the Scripture, we see so many different times where men and women of God have waited in faith. One of my favorite scriptures is written by a man named David, where David says, I have been young, 
and now I am old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken in their seed begging for bread. Sometimes I have to turn to the pages of Scripture for myself to get other statements of faith to make me more bold. Because left to myself, when I'm standing down at ground level, at sea level, I'm starting to get drowned in what I see coming in front of me. It's overwhelming. And I need some perspective to know that God is working, that other men and women have faced similar things to what I'm facing right now. He didn't leave them alone, and he's not going to leave me alone. One of my favorite scriptures in Daniel 3, it tells a story about three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. They say this statement that I've turned to for perspective. They were living in a place of real oppression in Babylon. There was this king that says, unless everybody bows down and worships me, we are going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro looked at him and said this, listen, I know the reality of this this furnace. And we serve a God who can deliver us from the furnace. But check this out. Even if he doesn't, I'm still not bowing down to you. Now, in these circumstances, Jordan Rice has to leave where he is and go in search of some perspective from Scripture so that I will be able to walk a life by faith. One of the challenges is when life is difficult, we leave the perspective. Here's what I've been doing with my life and for the last couple of, of years. I have stopped asking myself the question, what if? When I find myself in these confusing times, what if this happens? And then, man, what if this happens? And then what if this happens? And then what if this happens? And I've substituted that with some more perspective. Even if. Even if this happens, God is still going to be faithful. Even if this, is, if this happens, I'm not alone. I'm surrounded by people who love me. They're going to walk with this situation through with me and... and they're going to carry me when even, even I can't walk on my own. Now, here's a big challenge to getting the perspective that God wants you to have, is we compare our lives to other people's lives, and then God feels cruel because he's given other people in this moment a better life that is more appealing to us than the one that we have. One of my friends last night on the tour said these words. It was extremely profound. I've talked before about comparison and how it robs us of joy. And he said, you know what? Comparison robs us of more than joy. It also robs us of our perspective. Comparison doesn't just rob you of your joy. Comparison robs you of your perspective. When you start to compare your life to someone else's life, you lose sight of the things that God has given you in this very present moment to keep you. Because you don't, have what, you don't have the grass that's on the other side of the fence. Now, again, I don't know everybody's life and their story. Lord knows some of you are going through some very bewildering, confusing, and painful times. And I'm not trying to say that it's not frustrating to look on the other side and see other people doing better, particularly people who you don't think deserve to be doing better than you, do, than you are. But if we're going to have a life that, and a faith that works, we need perspective. For you... I don't know how people survive. I don't know how Christians survive without a regular habit of reading Scripture that allows them to change their perspective. Not to give you some pie in the sky, but first and foremost, that you're not alone. Let me unpack this for a quick second. This is one Scripture in the book of, in one of the Gospels, where it talks about the disciple that Jesus loved. 
And when I was going through my worst moments, one of the things that was most challenging and made me feel alone was that certainly God does not love me if he's allowing these things to happen. And then I was reading through the scripture and I see the Bible referred to one of the disciples, a man named John, as the disciple that Jesus loved. And then I said, wait a minute, this dude's life ended up being pretty miserable. He was exiled and he was boiled alive for his faith. He lost everything. And if this is what loving God, loving people looks like, then certainly I can't cast a shadow that God doesn't love me because of what's happening in my life. And it was getting this perspective that God has allowed faithful men and women that he loves dearly to go through pain and difficulty and challenges that made me feel like, God, maybe you're not after me all along. Maybe this is a normal part of life. Maybe the same way you walk with them, you walk with me. Number three, walking with God and waiting on God requires obedience. It requires humility to say that we don't know what's going on. It requires perspective for us to see what God is doing. Uh, and, just, uh, and number three, it requires obedience. One of my fears that we talked about this a lot in our um, series that we just did on discipleship. One of my fears is that many of us call ourselves followers of Jesus, but we are actually on a self-guided tour through life. Verse 1, again, um, he says this, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. Now, this is a profound thing that Habakkuk is saying. He is saying that his job while he is waiting on God is just to go to the watchtower and stand there. Do you know what happens when a, a guard goes to the watchtower and stand? Nothing. Absolutely nothing happens. They just go and they just stand. And for weeks and months on end, all they're doing is just standing there. Nothing is happening, nothing exciting. They're not contributing. It's not some profound thing. They're just standing there. They're just being obedient. Now, here's the thing that I've seen happen in my life, the pull towards this, that I've seen happen in other people's lives. When life is disrupted for us, when we are waiting on God and God doesn't answer us as quickly as we want to, we leave our post. We know what God has called. We leave our groups. We leave our DNA groups. Life got hard, so I just stopped going. We stopped reading scripture. We stopped praying. We start doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing. What is that? We've left our guard post. Now, underneath most of that is this. We're feeling like it doesn't matter. Since I don't see what this is doing, it doesn't matter, and therefore, I'm just going to stop doing it. There's an old preacher that told a story about a woman that came up to him after church and said, Pastor, I'm going through a lot of difficulty right now, and I've been praying, and nothing is happening, so I'm just going to stop. The pastor looked at her and said, well, I can tell you that you're definitely going to get nothing out of not praying. If you get nothing from trying every single day to go to the throne of grace, I can absolutely assure you you'll get nothing by staying away from it. What God is inviting us to through this subtle reminder in Habakkuk is this. You just keep showing up. You just keep showing up, doing the right thing that God is calling you to do. Waiting on the Lord means no matter how bad things are, you don't leave your post. You don't leave what you're supposed to do. You just do the next thing. Now, I really love how simple this is for Habakkuk. He's just going to do the thing that he's uh, that he knows to do, to stand at the watchtower and to wait. And for you, I'm not talking about nothing complicated. I'm not talking about some profound act of faith that is a daredevil act of faith. I'm saying just show up. 
For some of you, all you had was the faith to muster up just to be here today. And guess what? Praise God. God sees that. That is it. Keep showing up. Keep doing the thing that God is calling you to do, trusting that while you are waiting, he is working. The last thing is, um, so waiting on God requires humility. It requires that we say, God, even though I've been acting like I know what's best, I don't. It requires perspective, that we see our life through the lens of Scripture, not the other way around. It requires obedience, that we keep on doing the thing that God is calling us to do. Uh, Keep showing up. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. And the last one is we focus on God, not what God provides. My, my, my. Now, I want to be very clear about this first and foremost. What I am not talking about is a life of resignation. Resignation is this inner attitude that nothing is going to change, so I'm going to stop praying. You stop believing that God can do miraculous things. You stop believing that God can move in your life. I am not talking about that. Although I don't want the centerpiece of our focus to be on what God can provide, God does love to answer prayers for his children. I have seen over and over again in this last decade people that were crying tears of deep sadness And now I see them crying tears of adoration because of what the Lord has done in their life. I see their faces. Many of them are sitting here in this room. Don't stop praying. God moves. However, waiting on God requires that we shift our focus ever so subtly away from approaching God for what he can give us to approaching God for himself. It requires us focusing on who God is himself. You know, in the book of Job, there's this early section of Scripture that the enemy asks God a question that I think is one of the most profound questions ever asked in human history. Satan comes to God and he says, God, does Job fear you for nothing? Like, does Job serve you for for no good reason? He knows. Job knows. Like, you've been blessing Job with everything. You've been given Job win after win after win after win, but if you were to take away what you provided for him, he would curse you and die. And all throughout the book of Job, you see this wrestling with Job where everybody is telling him, yo, maybe you should just curse God and die because God has taken away everything from you. And so one of the things I think about in my own life is one of the things that is probably the most challenging as you get into your 40s like I am is... Uh, I started to realize that some, not every relationship is, is really one that values me. Some of my relationships are transactional. People will use you only for the amount of time that you are useful to them, and the second you are no longer useful to them, they'll, they'll discard you. And how bad does that feel? Think about it even from a romantic perspective. Like if, if you're with someone and you're all the way up right now, you feel blessed. Um, every time uh, your job is great, the money is flowing, the apartments are great, Uh, everything is great, and you could provide a lot for this person. But, like, if you were to not have all of that, they would leave you? Who would ever want to be in a relationship like that? None of us would. But here's the thing. This is how so many of us treat God. I've heard this over and over again, and I want to be really sensitive to the stories in this room. Again, I don't know what you've gone through. I've talked to so many people that said, I used to follow God, but I was praying for this thing to happen, and he never answered my prayer, so I walked away. They're basically saying, God, you are valuable to me so long as you provide what I want. 
And I'm not saying we shouldn't want good things from God. We should continue to pray and ask God for things. But maturity, the maturity that God is inviting you into today is a maturity that says, even if God doesn't provide the thing for me in the way that I want to, that he himself would be enough. Is Jesus not enough for you? Is it not enough that God left heaven because he saw your misery and your pain? Is it not enough that when everybody in the world will treat you according to the standard of what you earn, God will treat you according to the standard of grace? Is it not enough that God gave us his only begotten son to suffer on the cross? Is it not enough that Jesus labored and carried that hill up, up, up the hill, carried that cross up the hill? Is it not enough that our Savior, he bled and he died for you? Is it not enough that God knows your name? Is it not enough that God promises to walk with you through the valley? Is he not enough? And so the gentle invitation that I would like you to be considering right now is that God is calling us all to leave some of our previous comforts for a greater gain. A greater gain that our vision for him would just be more and more seeking God for, for God and that we would find that he is enough. And that is the type of faith that can navigate every single season in life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you know the real, real, real situations people are in. You know how difficult it is for people just to show up. You know how difficult it is for us to find perspective. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would meet us where we end. You would give us strength where we don't have any on our own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.